With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, February 15th. As most of you listeners are well aware of, I have been deep diving into the college tennis world these past few days as I was on the broadcast for the 2022 Division I Women's National Indoor Championships. Of course, we were so fortunate here at Crack Rackets to be able to broadcast all of the action from first ball to last of the event. It was such a joy to watch North Carolina come back from a doubles point and four first set deficit to ultimately capture a third consecutive national indoor title. Hopefully, all of you listeners tuned into some of that action as obviously some of the best players in the world really are playing college tennis right now and fresh off of an Australian Open where a former two-time NCAA singles champion Danielle Collins made the singles final. Hopefully, tennis fans everywhere are beginning to appreciate the value and the level of college tennis. And if you are interested Interested in starting a college tennis fanship, rest easy. We've got the options available for you here at Cracked Rackets as we will be playing host once again this weekend to the Division I Men's National Indoor Championships. All of that coverage, first ball to last, on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. It's going to be myself and Mark Bay on the call this weekend as we get to see who is ready to be named the first national team champion of the 2022 season. Of course, with all of that said, I'm well aware. There has been plenty of action unfolding on the professional tours. Of course, you look last week at the action in St. Petersburg. What a thrilling finish it was. Annette Conteve, a three-set win over Maria Sakharin. It just seems week after week. We are getting these outstanding fields, outstanding results on the WTA Tour. Of course, it was a three ATP Tour event week last week as well. And we had some firsts across the board. Perhaps most importantly, Felix Ogier-Aliassime finally putting to bed the narrative that he can't get it done in the big matches. He captures his first ATP Tour title in Rotterdam. Of course, we had a first ATP 250 event in Dallas, ultimately captured by Riley Opelka. Casper Ruud continues to do his thing on the clay courts as well. With all of that in mind, a lot to discuss, a lot to catch all of you listeners up on, and I could think of only one guest to join me on today's (laughs) show to help me do all of that. The man, perhaps the only man, I would make sit through a monologue like that. Of course, you know him best as a host of Monday Match Analysis 3, a tennis show. You may recognize his voice as a single host on Tennis Channel from time to time as well. A returning champion here at Cracked Rackets, my eyebrowed nemesis and friend, a man who likes Butterfingers. It's Gil Gross. Gil, welcome back to the show. I have missed seeing your smiling face. How is everything on the Pro Tour? All is still going well? Actually, without your presence, it's collapsed. <laughs> I mean, when Felix wins a title, that's when you know. No, just joking. No, what uh, what are people gonna do without my hey. tennis abstract screenshots? They're gonna fall apart. Yeah, I was missing that. <laughs> uh, I was certainly missing that. I I often 
when you tweet those out, you know, I'll often send the tweet to myself for later reference. <laughs> and I was like, you know, where uh, I'm something's missing here. You're like, what's anyway, Emil Rusevori's hardcourt record in the last 52 weeks? How can I know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The under hits, Grusky. Under Stuttgart. Oh, you know, and again, this shows you where it. my brain is at. I had completely forgotten. We had a nice little list of uh, odds there. You're absolutely right. Over-under was Stuttgart. We took the under, and we yep. win. We also took the under on Taylor Fritz making a fourth round. He knocks that out in the first Australian Open. Things are looking good. Did, are we pros? Are we? We're brilliant. Should we do this full time? I think so. <laughs> yeah, might as well. I'm not going to get pretty smart. So. What am I going to apply a resume to? Like, what have you been doing the last three years? Well, I, I do these podcasts. There's three of them now. Um, yeah, that's not going to work anytime soon. That said, yeah, a lot for us to discuss. Of course, before we get into any of that, shout out as always to our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for the latest and greatest apparel, all at the best prices. Of course, if you use our promo code CR15, you'll get 15% at Checkout on all sale items free. Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Midwest Sports is not what it's called anymore. It's now tennis-point.com. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, let's get into it. And I, we uh, have hold to, on. Uh, oh, okay. good, good name change. I'm a fan <laughs> okay. of it. I think, it's, uh, I think it's great. So just shout out to them. Tennis okay. Point. I appreciate that as always. But with all of that said, let's get into it, Gil. And yes, let's start with the under that hit, Felix Ogier Aliasim, who has accomplished just about everything you'd like to accomplish for a player his age. And of course, for Felix, 21 years old last year, so much success at the Grand Slams, right? You look at what Felix was able to do at the U.S. Open, ultimately making his first semifinal at a Grand Slam. Of course, that was preceded by his first quarterfinal in Wimbledon. He made a round of six at the Australian Open that year as well. You look for what he was able to do in Australia this season. You know, just a fantastic level from start to finish coming off of that ATP Cup title, making the quarterfinals, pushing Daniil Medvedev to a fifth set. We knew Felix was on the rise, but of course we were still waiting for that signature run, right? Because all of these runs, I mean, to us and if you're a longtime Crack Rackets listener, you know Felix has been on my locks to win a slam this decade for four, five years now. I don't know. Youngest to win an ATP Challenger match. Youngest to win one title, two titles. Youngest ATP, yada, 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 yada. Is Rotterdam his signature run? Is this the run now, Gil, where you think, okay, we now all, uh, the broader tennis community are now thoroughly believers in FAA? Yeah, it's it certainly just, it gets the it gets the monkey off the back, right? And I mean, that's the most important thing. Um but what I really like about how he did this is it didn't really feel like he had a big week and and that was it. There was a buildup to this. He was amazing at ATP Cup. He was great in Melbourne at the Australian Open. And then he comes indoors and wins this title. And did he did he get that final, that easy draw in the final where it's like, oh, he's definitely going to win this one. He get he catches a break here. No, he got Stefano Tsitsipas and he wins that match. Not only does he win it, it's a blowout. It's not a very competitive match. I don't see how Felix could have done this any more emphatically, but the best part about it is it wasn't a hot week. 
It wasn't just one good match. Every single time he's taken the court in 2022, he has looked like a significantly improved Felix Ojealiasim from what we'd seen previously. I also enjoyed the fact that he got better and better as the week progressed because he didn't play that well against Igor Gerasimov in his first match, a three-set win where you know he makes only 59% of his first serves. He's broken three times, which is the most he was broken in any of the matches he played on the week. That first serve percentage continued to creep up, and of course, indoor hard courts, you have no excuse to make fewer than 60% of your first serves. The conditions are as perfect as they get. The thing that continues to stand out for me with Felix, and I think those who believed in his talent from the beginning have always seen this quality, the serve and the forehand have gone from, oh yeah, there'll be a weapon one day, he can be elite there. They just are elite now, and you look for him here this season, and I know it's still a small sample size. He's played, what, 16 matches thus far in the year, according to uh, the tennis abstract I'm looking at right now. He's holding 86.6% of the time. Like, that is a top 15 number, and I do think that number feels a little soft when you look at the level of competition he's faced. In particular, ATP Cup, he played Medvedev, Zverev, Nori, who are three of the top 10 in break percentage last season. And he's still holding 86.6% of the time. He played Medvedev again at the uh, U.S. Open, uh, Australian Open, excuse me. He plays Tsitsipas and Rublev, Nori again here this week. Andy Murray's not too bad of a returner in my experience either. <laughs> and he just rips through those guys now. His ability to find the plus one forehand, his ability, the, or just the weight of that plus one forehand, even if it isn't always perfectly placed, just the trajectory of that ball, the heaviness of that ball. It sets up everything else he wants to do in the point, and he's always been a good volleyer, but he just feels, or to me it seems, he's that much more comfortable with his first forehand to the point now where there is no hesitation. He gets a look at that forehand, he's following it in, and that decisiveness has led to improvements on his execution at the net, and it's just made him a more complete player. Like, he has found another gear with his serve plus one for like he out serve plus one both Rublev and Tsitsipas that's hard to do especially indoor hard courts yeah uh, and I I think that it was always potent sure right it's just the forehand missed too much mm-hmm. and I think what's happened is he's he's been able to rein in his targets a little bit and part of that is exactly what you just said he doesn't feel like he needs to hit a clean winner because if he needs to hit that volley, that's fine. He's very, very comfortable doing that. And I feel like there used to be, I never looked at him as a terrible volleyer, but he certainly used to be allergic to the net in a certain way. Uh, So, you know, he would just stay back and he would try to kind of, he had a weird thing with his margins, in my opinion, where he would just cut it too fine all the time. And uh, I don't know what else was really the issue because I think a lot of onlookers were puzzled and are puzzled at sometimes how much that forehand sprays inexplicably, but the consistency is now there. And also I was impressed with his return this week against yes. Pass because when you talk about out serve plus one in, well, yes, Stefanos didn't make enough first serves, but the way he returned the second serve and the first serve really neutralized uh, Tsitsipas's first forehand. And I think at this time, he's an un, he's an underrated returner of serve. And I'm talking about the return of serve in isolation, not the ability to necessarily win return games as a whole. Sure. 
No, because, of course, the break percentage is still not ideal, and yet I would agree with you. I think in particular on the backhand wing, the yeah. ball, just his ability to stay concise with his backswing and just compact and just use the pace of the serve to drive through that ball because he has so much natural strength. He's going to get the ball deep enough to get the point back to neutral with that return of serve as opposed to taking a big rip. I also think when you talk about the errors that would pile up early in his career, a lot of those errors were on the run. A lot of those errors were when he was pressured by pace and you know, I still think Rublev had some success, certainly, with his plus one ball and when he could get Felix really stretched in that backhand corner, as, of course, Rublev can with his inside-out forehand, then sure, Felix would sit a ball and float it in the center of the court, but that's going to happen to anyone. To me, the biggest difference is the on-the-run forehand, the on-the-run backhand. His ability, uh, particularly on that forehand wing, because you, in the Tsitsipas matchup, and it's one we've seen frequently back to their, dating back to their junior days and, you know, frequently here in their young ATP tour careers as well. Both guys are trying to camp out in that ad side corner, right? Both guys want to be the one to hit the inside in forehand. I thought when Tsitsipas pulled the trigger on that inside-in forehand, Felix's ability to track that ball down, hit his own forehand cross-court with pace and depth, that's the ball Tsitsipas then wants to take up the line, right? You know the pattern, Tsitsipas. Inside-in to set up the approach shot forehand to set up the first volley. The depth Felix was able to generate on that first forehand, and I mean— You can find it at multiple points in the match if you go back and watch. I wish I could point to a specific example. But just his ability to play on the run, that's the biggest difference to me in the past 12 months. And I do think this is where it's worth remembering. He's 21 years old. Like, hey, he could have played the next-gen finals last year. Like, he, it it takes some time to grow into the body. And the same way Tsitsipas, when he was 21, took that jump physically. Like, I do think we're seeing that with Felix right now. Yeah, there's a physical jump. I mean, I think it's uh, I think it's a lot about intention, though, and court positioning. Because when I first saw Felix play, I was like, wow, what a great athlete. Amazing. Uh, with a ton of power, great serve, and a, a big forehand, right? He just didn't use his athleticism to defend. Like if young, you know, when we're talking about 20-year-old Felix, there's really, or 19-year-old Felix, there's not that much defense there. It's really yeah. an offensive player. Uh, I think he's now willing to, first of all, move back. I thought he was kind of plastered up on the baseline early in his career, and it helps to move back if you're trying to defend. And and then kind of understand defensive intention and adding some spin and some height, uh, net clearance on that cross-court forehand that you're talking about. And he's strong enough where you can neutralize or you could even counterattack and turn defense into offense uh, without kind of going for broke from those defensive positions. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. He was glued to that baseline, and now I think he's realized his strength. I think he's comfortable with his movement. 26 of 28 on first serve points is just ridiculous. No double fault, seven aces, you'll take it. He won 16 of his 24 second serve return points. His ability to step up on that ball, punish Pass, not allow him to dictate, play plus one tennis— Felix is here. And again, you look for Felix now over the last 52 weeks, 43 and 24 overall. You look for him against top 20 opponents, 13 and 9. That's what you ask for. You look for him against the top 10, 7 and 8 against the top 10. 
I don't know what, like, playing top 10 opponents to a 500 level, you're a top 10 guy. And you look for Stefano C- uh, excuse me, Felix Ogier Aliassime back up to number nine in the rankings with this result. Gets the monkey of that first title off of his back, and you could see the relief in his face. By the way, with Felix out, having won his first title, Bublik won his first title two weeks ago, is Brooksby the best player without a title? Um... Probably not. I mean, I have to. Are we to, sure? No, no, like, he, he might be. I mean, I don't know. Like, I guess I'm not really prepared to answer because I don't. Well, don't, don't worry. Really this is the, this is where I come in, my friend. This is what okay. I've got. This is, this is my calling card. I wouldn't do that to you unprepared because. <laughs> so let's go through some guys who have recently done it, right? Okay. Dean Evans just, he won his first title not too long ago, I believe. And so last season. And so he was on that list for a while. He's off the list. Bublik uh-huh. was on that list for a while. He just won his first title. He's off the list. I believe Fucevic has won a title. You can double-check me there if you don't mind. But he is—he would still be on that list if he hasn't. But I'm pretty sure he has. Tommy Paul recently won his first title. I don't think Davidovich Fokina's won a title. Guys like Ivashka. But now, again, Davidovich Fokina's 44. Yeah. Ivashka's 46. Brooksby's 47. Like, I'm just saying... Is Brooksby the best guy? He's made a couple of ATP finals. I think he might be the best guy without a title now. Yeah, I think you might be right. Um, I mean, is there... Do we know Fucevic title? No title? Yeah, I can I can check that out. Yeah, right I, I was going to um, say, we'll get the IT guy on it. That's that's something he's I got. Definitely... Yeah, he's got one, one Yeah, that's title. what I thought. Yeah, so he's got the... I'm going with Brooksby. I'm doubling down on the take. Brooksby, best player without a title. Okay, one. Well, I just checked Tiafo, one title. Yeah, Tiafo. Oh, how dare you? Delray. What? what? Uh, Tiafo won. Yeah, come on. Who doesn't yeah, remember yeah. that run? Um, That's before your time. You're right. That was before your time. No, no. I remember it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You know what's almost. You know what's crazy? Oh, never mind. Never mind. No, what? He has a title? Who was? No, it? I, thought, I thought he had one. He has more than one. Yo, Francis? Um, I think. No, no. Francis does indeed only have one. Yeah, who has more than one? Who was it? Um, well, it's almost Chapo because Chapo yeah. only has one. You that know, so was it's Stockholm, very close to right? being Chapo year? Or two years ago? No, two years ago. Yeah, yeah, two years yeah, yeah, ago. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean. <laughs> Brooksby, yeah, like, best player without a title. Lock it in. This is, this is a big it's moment. It's crazy, though. I mean, he's barely played any ATP match. I know. <laughs> Like, <laughs> I know. That's why it's so funny. Uh, what am I going to say? Lorenzo Musetti? He like had a decent week in Rotterdam? No. It's, what if it's... Brooksby won Newport? What if Brooksby would have won Dallas? Um, okay, so this is the new over-under. Wait, we have to make a bet. Jensen Brooksby. I'm just going to say straight up end of the season because he is still yeah. so raw. Over-under one title by the end of the season. Half a title by the end of the season. Over-under. Yeah, I'll do under. Like he's he's playing a lot. I could see him winning Atlanta or something. Yeah. Uh, here's the thing. Is Had he a lock Isner, for Atlanta? <laughs> if, if Isner won Dallas, I would have agreed with you. But because Isner lost in Dallas, Isner's winning Atlanta one more time. Just come <laughs> on. What, is he not going to be top 40 at the end of the year? But Brooksby will lose to him in the final. That's a great call. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'd take the under. I think that's fair as well. All right. In terms of final thoughts on Rotterdam, Tsitsipas. Yeah. You're our Tsitsipas truther here who we turn to on this show. I mean – I don't think he looked – and by the way, again, credit to FAA who didn't just beat Tsitsipas but beats Rublev as well. And just a good week for him overall. But for Tsitsipas, you know, on paper, the draw wasn't particularly tough. But 
A, Yuri Lachetchko was playing lights out all week long, and that's a guy we've talked about on this podcast over the past 12 months, his rise on the challenger level and just the weapons that he had. It all came together for him this week. That said, he just kind of hit a brick wall. At the end of that second set, Tsitsipas outlasted the Lachetchka wave, and it just felt like he broke him down. I mean, Demonauer didn't have the weapons to hurt him. Ivashka, he plays on his terms. Davidovich just couldn't keep, quite keep pace in that first round. Where are you at with Tsitsipas? Not quite the quarter pole because we're not through Indian Wells in Miami yet, but I think he's been pretty good out there, especially given the injuries. Yeah, I think he's surpassed expectations because, yeah. I mean, he starts the year. I, certainly, I think everyone agreed that he did that in Australia. New strings, and that's not a decision he wanted to make. His hand was forced because of his elbow. Uh, but I, I think he's settling into that adjustment. He comes off the elbow surgery. ATP Cup was shaky when it just comes to when it came to his participation. He was pulling out of matches and stuff, uh, and that was only a month ago. And uh, then this week, he he brings on Tomas Enquist, which is great to see, something that I'm at least very happy to see on Tsitsipas' behalf. So he would have had every right to kind of continue a lot of the results, the disappointing results that we were seeing at the end of 2021. Uh, but no, he's made a semi and a final here. And now he goes into a couple of slower hard courts than clay. And I think things are looking up for him. And again, like if, if he would if he would have been upset early in Australia and lost, you know, early to, you know, maybe in the quarters of the semis in Rotterdam, I think that would have been understandable. So the way I look at it, two for two, Titi Pass goes further than than he could have. And by the way, th- these haven't been good con- conditions for Steph. I think he came into this week four and four on these weird, slow low bouncing Rotterdam hard courts. Yeah. No, it was I mean, did you think they were low and slow? Like is that was that your takeaway from these from these conditions? They weren't uh, on the scale of like all courts. <laughs> yeah. I would this say This is always a great argument, right? Court condition arguments. Yeah, I'd say maybe <laughs> they were medium, but yeah. as far as uh, you know, on the indoor court scale, I think they're definitely slow sure. and the bounce definitely I think is low in Rotterdam. Very Yeah, consistent. and I did think Stefano struggled with that on the run forehand against Felix, just the depth of it and just, or excuse me, on, with his own on the run forehand, just again, when Felix was able to get depth onto that side, a lot of shank errors and it just felt like pace in particular. Lachetchka did the same thing where because that ball stayed low on him, you're right, and I do think he pulled up and I think that was the majority of the errors, but I thought he played well. Like, I, I, I do. I agree with you. I, I would like to see him, again, continue to make quarterfinal-type runs. He's beating everyone he's supposed to beat, which is really all you can ask of him. And I, just, I thought Felix did more to win that match than Stefanos losing it. So, again, that was my takeaway, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, one thing is this pattern continues to emerge, and I'm, I'm tracking it on a, a lot of Tsitsipas matches, just the returns and play numbers. And he's losing that to a lot of the best players in the world, especially Medvedev, loses it again against Felix. He needs to, I mean, against these elite surf returners, he's just playing at a disadvantage because he's still not making enough returns uh, in play. And then in this match in Rotterdam, I think on a slower court, he wasn't getting enough free points. Uh, he he only, he saw 70% of his serves come back in this match, which is a lot. So that's one pattern that I think is concerning, but on the clay... And on the slower surfaces, 
it, it kind of goes away because, you know, you're just making – everyone's just making returns. Yeah, completely fair. I That was the one other thing is the Tsitsipas backhand return was still the vulnerability for him in yeah. all of these matches. That said, again, final thoughts here on Rotterdam. Lachetka, in or out? Lachetka, yeah. Oh, I love him. Um, I mean, he's not <laughs> – You know, I, I just like it. I like it. Go on. Yeah, he – and I, I almost feel like this is a boring description of a player, uh, but – it's all about kind of solid ball striking off both wings, lots of easy power, consistent power. I, I really was impressed with his shot tolerance against Musetti. Uh, a lot of long, tough rallies. He was able to hang in there and show off his consistency. Uh, and, and he's just a super solid baseliner with decent, you know, average mobility. I'd say an average first serve right now. But uh, really, it's, it's mostly just about the evenness off both wings and how clean he hits the ball. I agree with you. I said it's Marcos Giron 1.25. Like, just, like, kind of pretty good at everything. And just, like, a little more flash, a little more pop. More muscle to him, for sure. Yeah, exactly. And so just a little bit more size. And so, by the way, Marcos Giron, what, top 75, 70 player? That with a little bit more pop. You look for Lachetka, top 50 push. Absolutely in the cards. And, again, big result for him here in Rotterdam. Musetti? Pretty good week. Like, should have gone. Pretty good. Prob- you would imagine. No, no, I'm saying you would say. Okay, I guess here's what I'm saying. Pretty good start to the year is what I meant to say. Not pretty good week. Oh, but this okay. is a nice little boost. Um, You're right. It was a very good week. He here's the question. This. Should he have gone and played the clay courts instead? No, no. Um, In fact, if we get to Rude, I think this is an interesting kind of tie-in. Um, I like it. But, you know. Musetti, I, first of all, I'm surprised by his decision not to, but he was basically like, oh, uh, I'm going to play Rotterdam because it's my least comfortable surface and I want to challenge myself. Sure. That's a weird thing for someone to say on a losing streak, but mm-hmm. I mean, if it works, you got to give him credit. Uh, and, you know, he he went winless in Australia. Was uh, This was the first tournament, Grusky, that he won back-to-back matches since Roland Garros. Really? Yeah, you're right. Because he was, I mean, abysmal. Like the record coming into Rotterdam is like 7 and 18 or something since the French Open. And that's why I pushed back on like the pretty good week, right? Because like he. (laughs) Sure. Because like this is the okay, first. You got to understand, my brain's still at 50% capacity. Jokes don't register. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this was a much needed week. It was was great to see uh, because I still, I guess my, my Musetti hot take. Which, uh, like, I, I don't know how, you, how you're going to feel about this. Uh, I, he's got the best timing for a one-handed backhand down the line that I've ever seen. Oh, it's Gasquet, yes. That's a great take. You're going to find no qual. I think he's better on that wing. Yeah, yeah, me too. And that's the difference. That's what, you know, with Stan and yeah. Roger and team, you know, as much as people want to talk about their backhands because, you know, they're beautiful, they're one-handers. Well, be- their forehands are all way better. Musetti actually does use his backhand to create the damage in the point. And the way he times that down the line backhand is insanity. His athleticism, his strength, when he's clicking, there's just a fluidity. I put him in the Tommy Paul camp where it's just like, is there anything on a court they can't do when they're locked in? Yeah. Now, it's not quite as heavy as stands. It's not as versatile as Rogers. It's not as heavy as teams either. Mm-hmm. But, but it's the more precision. fluid than all of them. Yeah. I mean, fluidity, do you mean that like visually? 
No, all of the above, just in terms of, again, how compact, how his ability while in the outer thirds to still swing through that ball. He's not forced to play chip. He's not always having to, you know, I think he drives through the, that ball more than a Roger, not maybe less than a team, yeah. but it's not so line drive like teams where there's a dynamic part to the, you know, there's more spin on that ball than the Dominic team sure. shot perhaps, or um, while still not compromised on the drive. I think Gasquet is the best comp for it. Like it really is the most. It, it's that sort of complete backhand. Yeah, I think I think Gasquet probably is the best comp for it. I, I do think that even Musetti uh, prefers to go down the line even more than Gasquet because Gasquet has really good angles on the cross court uh, and likes to really rip it cross. Again, like I'm most most of the players who I think are great at that you know, at hitting backhands down the line, they're all two handers Mm -hmm. because it's just so very rarely do you see a one hander with that kind of precision and timing to just change direction, even off of like a pacey ball, he can just change down the line and hit it clean. It's crazy. No, it's kind of, it's so just beautifully out in front. It's when you're doing ghost swings, because be honest, you do ghost swings in the mirror. We're tennis players at, Oh, you're not actually, no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, he. I was trying Is to that get a, a challenge. Response. Yeah, exactly. Good. Okay, that's exactly <laughs> what I was looking for. Um, no, you do ghost swings in the mirror. True or false? Yeah, and I. Yeah, do I have a one hander in, in the mirror? Yeah. Do I have yeah, a two hander on the court? Yeah. Yeah, I, I like can't even imagine doing it. I mean, you never would look in a mirror while you're doing a two-handed backhand. Like it's just <laughs> not as attractive as a one-hander swinging out and accentuating the finish and just the little flare at the end. Like I'm sure you curve your back out and give it a little flare. Um, anyways, yeah, Musetti's got it, and I mean that's why he's got a GQ magazine shoot already but no great week for him it was crazy to see Lachetka still break him down and introduce that's again the thing with Musetti B C D it's awesome what's plan A how do you win points freely what are the things you do easily that's why I thought he'd go to the clay where he has had some success with plus one and the drop shots and the variety uh, but good decision ultimately obviously pays off Good for Cam Norrie as well back into the quarterfinals seems to have reset things uh, here this season Weird loss for Hoopy, but I think that's enough on Rotterdam. We talked Brooksby. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. So let's go to Dallas next. Uh, and you look for Jensen Brooksby, obviously, makes the final of Dallas, where he is ultimately knocked off by Riley Opelka. I'm kind of disappointed in tennis Twitter. Most notably, I'm just going to say it openly, I'm disappointed in Matt Zemeck because the fact that we didn't get a, you'd think the Secret Service would have said, hey, Riley Opelka, you serves a weapon and the president is in the building. Like, we didn't get one of those tweets, Gil. <laughs> Not one, like, devastated. But that's the thing. Riley Opelka's serve was the biggest weapon in the building and maybe for the first time in his career, Outside of the run last year in Canada, so second time where it's just that serve, there were times when it was untouchable, and you look for Riley Opelka, he's not broken throughout the course of the week, he ultimately earns the title. It wasn't just that though, Gil, like I I thought it was beyond that, but that's where you start, right? The serve finally, it it seems to have taken another jump forward. Yes, I I, I mean, that was indoor 
speedy conditions and Opelka just serving at his best. I mean, you're going to, you're going to have trouble uh, as it is right there. But, but ultimately what the things I look for Opelka with Opelka, it's not as much his serve. Cause I know that's going to be awesome. It's, you know, is he missing attacking forehands? Is he going after attacking forehands? Cause he still has kind of a young Isner syndrome sometimes where he's actually not going after it. Uh, old he Isner. doesn't have yes. Yeah. Young yeah. Syndrome, of course. <laughs> now. Yeah. Old Isner would never, yeah. <laughs> but, um, and, and then, you know, the, we've talked about the backhand and, and how, how good it is and, uh, you know, how he can actually defend on that wing, which is absurdity, um, for that age, you know, there were key rallies in the Brooksby match where they were in neutral rallies and Jensen missed first. And I mean, if I'm Brooksby, that's unacceptable and I'm kicking myself. But if I'm Opelka, whoa, that's pretty cool. I, I just I just won a neutral rally by outlasting Jensen Brooksby. And that's uh, that's not something that you would uh, expect early in the match. But key moments uh, in that match, that's that's how some of them went down. No, he's played 11 matches, I believe, this season, 8-3 and three overall. Uh, he's been broken seven times, uh, excuse me, six times total. Six times total through 11 matches. He's holding serve 96% of the time. That would have been number one last season. I just like, that's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. And he's played a ton of tiebreakers this year as well. He's 10-3 and three in those tiebreaks and just... To me, what was so impressive in particular in the match against Brooksby, and by the way, I because during these broadcasts for the college matches, I can't follow any of the pro action. I know what's happening result-wise, but I have no idea what's happening from a nuance. And, you know, everyone's going crazy about Opelka Isner. And I was like, it was exactly what you thought. I was like, what? who expected anything different? But then it's like, no, it was 24-22 in the breaker. <laughs> I was like, oh. I was like, okay, well, good. Like, now we can put this argument to rest. You, thought, you thought everyone was like, Holy crap! What is this serve pottery? Yeah, What's I was going like, on here? exactly. I was like, "What are you guys overreacting?" I was like, "Did what, were we expecting like a six shot rally?" No, um, <laughs> and so it's like, "Oh, but it was twenty four twenty two, and now understand." He still faced zero break points in that match. Zero against Manorino. Zero against Steb. One against Jensen Brooksby. And to me, beyond the serve, it was so impressive against Brooksby. He stepped up on second serve returns and just punish that ball off of Brooksby's racket. And there were times when, because Brooksby doesn't hit the biggest ball. Now he moves you corner to corner. He wears you down. We'll get to Brooksby in a second. But I thought Opelka handled the handled the physicality of Brooksby extraordinarily well. I thought he was particularly patient. And then when Brooksby sits a ball, as he will do in a rally, Opelka made him pay. Like, I thought this was a really balanced performance for Riley more than anything else. It wasn't just serve bot tennis. He was consistent, but consistently aggressive. Not, you know, he wasn't suffering from yes. He was consistently aggressive from the baseline. Yeah. And it's the forehand that is the one to watch there because yeah. the backhand is kind of going to, it's not going to, it's be always going to be there erratic. Yeah. It's not yeah. going to be erratic, but the forehand can be. And it was just one of those, tournaments where it was just coming off perfectly and yeah. he just had the timing he had the trajectory he was measuring it correctly and and that's going to be kind of the key uh how about 77 percent second serve points won against okay. jensen brooksby like that is absurd i know so i just want to add that to the the list of stats that were awesome but you know what uh the, with brooksby he's like a he 
in 2K, there is NBA 2K. You have uh, special skills, and one of them is microwave, where you get, if you hit two shots in a row and you have microwave, you're really hot and it like makes you really much better. Opelka's a microwave. He gets really hot. Like if you look at his results in 2021, a lot of losses that he, that were too early, that were inexplicable. Rome goes on a heater, a run. Canada, Masters, goes on a run. Uh, And then here, he goes on a run. So, okay, I know Riley Opelka can do that. I know he's going to do that. I want to see him go a month without a bad loss. So, I'm really glad you bring that up. That was going to be my argument. I'm going to go beyond that. I think he has now gone a month without a bad loss. And I would argue this is the really the first time in his career that's happened at the ATP level, not the challenger level, ATP level, where you look for him last season, he was 11-10 and 10 in first matches, 11 and, uh, of an event. That's, yes, that'll keep you in the top five, you know, top 50. And yes, you look for him that, you know, one of those results was Rome and semifinals. The other was Canada final, right? That's obviously going to get you pushing towards the top 30. That said, you look for him this season again, eight and three overall. He loses four, six, seven, six, seven, six to Cressy, who he was one of the players of Australia. You know, one of the 10, if not five brightest stars. And Opelka is not broken in that match. I don't think you can categorize that as a bad loss. Six seven six four six four loss to Murray. I don't think he played his best in that match, but I don't think it was a bad loss. The four set loss to Shapovalov in Australia. I don't think he played his best in that match. I still wouldn't describe it as a bad loss. He didn't lose in Dallas. Like he beat everyone he was supposed to beat, and you know none of the players he matched up with had a big enough weapon to hurt him with. I'm very encouraged by his level here to start this season. I do think we've seen a degree of consistency, particularly on the serve, where that, of course, projection-wise, has always said we've always said that's got to be the foundation for his success. But it, that has it is now the foundation for his success. Yeah, I, I guess uh, it's a pretty good point. I mean, he's mm-hmm. technically he lost to two players outside the top 100 already this year. But but yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah, they're they're Murray and Cressy, so uh, I understand where <laughs> you're good. coming from. I like that. That's funny. Yeah, that's a good point. You're not <laughs> wrong. I mean, but I mean, it dates back to the U.S. Open last year, Basilashvili, Musetti, Kwan before the loss to Harris. I think more than anything, what it continues to be is if you have a weapon that can throw him off his game and you can withstand that first strike, it's just like, yeah, you are going to beat him. Um, but it's it's getting harder and harder to withstand that first strike. Yeah, I completely agree. The forehand uh, technique has has gotten better, and uh, so I guess I guess if you're gonna say he's doing a good job at not avoiding bad losses for a month, another thing would be go go 2022. One goal I think for him should be go 2022 without that stretch that he went on in 2021, where he lost five matches in a row in the first sure. round. You know, because again, I I do think. The challenge for him is the week-to-week focus, uh, not losing the game, not going on that on that drought, that bad spell. Because what he's shown uh, is that he's gonna he's gonna get hot and have some really really awesome weeks. And I think the next step, if he wants to stay in the top twenty, which he should at his age, and not go anywhere, which I think he he again has the ability to do and should do, that's what it's gonna take. That's the other piece I would throw in. He's now 24, turning 25 years old this year. 
He's young. He's an adult. No, but it, but it's also now you're, he's still young. Yeah. But he is now an adult, and I just think there the the routine. You know, this is what year four or five of a year long grind on the tour. He just now knows how to manage it better and negotiate all the highs and lows. And I think you can see that paying dividends for him. And a bunch of these young guys we see taking the next step this season. Now, on the Brooksby note, 18-8 and eight over his last 52 weeks at the ATP level, 47-12 and 12 overall, which is like, huh, <laughs> and it's just ridiculous. He's held serve, you know, 82.2% of the time in his ATP matches, he's, which is above the average of the top 50 players. He's breaking serve 25.8% of the time is a top 15 sort of number. He, of course, is now back into the top 50, or excuse me, up to the top 50 for the first time in his career, up to number 45 in the rankings, new career high, still hasn't played a main draw at the French Open, which he now gets into, still hasn't played a main draw at Wimbledon, which he'll now get into. Those are low-hanging fruit for points. Of course, this whole clay court season, really, low-hanging fruit for him if he's able to play at the ATP level and Indian Wells and Miami. And just that said, you know, Lost his first-round match to Karatsev last season in the French Open. Did make the final in Newport, but still to be determined how good he is on on the non-hardcourt surfaces. What are they called? The natural surfaces, excuse me. <laughs> yes. That said, like again, he shows up in Dallas. Not the most match tough. Yes, he went and played a, qual- uh, a challenger in Columbus and loses in three sets to a guy in Nishioka who played extraordinarily well during that two-week challenger stretch. But that said, you know, Beats Seppi, beats Thompson, was up big on Giron, blows that lead, then faces a couple of match points, takes it 7-6 in the third. Where are you at with Brooksby? I mean, I'm struggling with a question because it's like, I, yeah, yeah. it's just, no, it's the I mean, same. It's more of the right. same. Right. And it's, it's very impressive. And it's all about him staying healthy, not only for Jensen Brooksby's sake, but for the sake of all tennis fans. I want him sure. to have a long and, and healthy career and in the immediate future, just a healthy season. Do you worry about that, that he's going to run himself into the ground? For sure. It's, you know, 100%. Yeah. He's got an an unbelievably physical style, which I could look past because there are players who have physical styles and, and they maintain themselves like Daniil Medvedev, uh, Novak Djokovic, uh, but he's already had injuries. So if you've already had injuries and a lot of them, by the way, and uh, he injured his hip at the U S open that ended that run. Uh, and, and I thought, you know, a lot of people chalk that up to fitness. And I even made a tweet about how he said he improved his fitness and his cardio. And I got some like, didn't he gas out against Djokovic? No, <laughs> believe me, he had an acute hip injury and yeah. was in immense pain. It was not a fitness problem. Um, so, yeah, I, I just that's definitely my number one concern. Also, like, I don't know if, if this plays into it, but he doesn't have that kind of lean, flexible body sure. that I think maintain a little bit easier. He's got kind of more like the Andy Murray bulk to him. Um, so I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's just you, you just hope he stays healthy. And that's the number one thing. I mean, you look for him this week, faced 19 break points, fought off all but Four of them. So 15 of 19 saving breakpoint chances. Yeah. He seems to find the big first serve whenever he needs it. And again, it wasn't broken by Opelka. was able to keep pace with him. And I actually think that first serve looks like it does have a little bit more juice on it here to start the season. And just again, it's it was so fun watching him against Giron because 
Like, you just have to have such patience when you play Jensen because if you start to force things, force errors, you give him anything for free, he beats you. Of course, if you get baited into playing his game, he beats you because he's just going to yank you side to side to side until he breaks you. And you got to come up with something special. Giron was able to do that at times. But just, yeah, it's I, I really do enjoy watching the physical game style of Jensen Brooksby. But, of course, again, shout-out to Marcos Giron making the semifinals there. Shout-out to Isner. Shout-out to the Dallas community. That was an awesome event. They were really good numbers. Always cool to have a president in the house, um, even if he's not your favorite president. But credit to the entire Dallas community for all that they do. Um, and there's a reason they've been able to have challengers over the years. Now they have an ATP 250 event. Shout-out Grant Chen and SMU, by the way. That grants the man. Fellow Former club tennis player, by the way, Gil. <laughs> now and now. At, at Michigan? Or? No, at UCLA. But oh, it's okay. the big schools. Again, it still counts. still counts. Um, all right. With all that said, Buenos Aires, St. Petersburg quickly because, sadly, I'm going to have to end our podcast probably before our usual two-and-a-half-hour mark, Gil. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> Another under here on the show. Uh, let's go to Buenos Aires. Yeah. There was a lot of fun things, you know, little nuggets for us Cracked Rackets fans to enjoy. Would I be happy to talk about the Francisco Serendolo run to the quarterfinals and why I still continue to believe it's Francisco, not Juan Manuel, who has the higher upside as a pro? Oh, yeah. yeah. But is, guess there, what? is there a big debate oh, about that? There is a big debate. Do you not listen to the show? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's, well, I, it's I'm, a, on, it's I'm a, on your side. Okay, so it's it's really just me and you versus David Gertler. For the record, because he, he's Team Juan Manuel, and I'm like, you're wrong. It's Francisco. Because, Francis- okay, we're going to do it now. Amina Bectis, move over. Francisco's got the weapons. It's just like his forehand is so smooth, and the backhand's condensed, and he can move. And it's just like, why wouldn't his game translate to a faster surface? Yeah, I, I see him as as the player with the bigger weapons. I know Manuel is, is uh, three years younger, and... I guess if you just look at the rankings and age, he he seems more promising. But but yeah, he he has a lot of development to go if he wants to have success on quick surfaces. I agree with you still. Clay Courts has been his bread and butter at the challenger level, now into a quarterfinal here at the ATP level. It's a good result for him in Buenos Aires, of course, ultimately in the final. Casper Rude. Out physicals, Diego Schwartzman, 5-7-6-2-6-3. And I really did think Rude made a bet at the beginning. I'm going to hang with you. We're going to play these 10, 15, 20-shot rallies. And eventually, I'm going to wear you down because you don't have a weapon to hurt me with. And I, I'm in on this fight. And I do think eventually it did wear Schwartzman down. And I just think hitting ball at his shoulder level, forehand, you know, point after point after point. Rude made that match physical. He found the down the lines a little bit easier. That said, was this the right schedule choice for Casper Ruud? Your thoughts on all of it? I can't criticize it yet, but I'm almost there. I'm getting okay. there because it's like we we get it. Like Casper's <laughs> not going to lose. Casper, first of all, this is now four straight Clay 250 titles. The only loss that he's had on Clay in his last five main draws is the round three loss to Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. Sure. Um, and it's like, you know, Casper is at the point where he is not going to lose to a player outside the top 10 on clay, unless it's Diego Schwartzman. He's just, <laughs> sure. it's, it's not going to happen really. So I'm, I'm getting kind of bored with it, especially, and you know, that's not, Casper shouldn't be concerned about that. So let me change the, <laughs> the kind of. No, wait, let me change Casper, it up. Did you hear that? Gil's bored with you. <laughs> Do you want to be written off Monday match analysis? Casper has some things that he needs to work on that sure. 
like the return and the backhand defense on fast courts. And I think he should have the ambition to work on those things and get to a point where he's not only a contender to win big tournaments on clay, but he has what it takes to win big tournaments on hard courts. And let's face it, the obvious scheduling decision for anyone who wants to go really deep in Miami, really deep at Indian Wells a couple of weeks from now was to play Rotterdam. Everyone in the top 15 from Tsitsipas to Rublev to Felix to Hercotch, everyone in the top 15 played Rotterdam except for Diego Schwartzman, who decides to play his home tournament, an obvious decision. So like Casper, I would say he should join the club, you know, go to the 500 event on hard court. It's hardcourt season for a bit right now. We're about to hit the sunshine double. You should have ambitions to play well at those events, play Rotterdam, challenge yourself. That's the decision I would have liked to see. However, it remains incredibly impressive that he continues to win these clay 250s at the consistency that he does. I would echo your entire sentiment, but also throw into this mix a for Kasparud coming out of Australia where he you know he's unable to play the Australian Open right I think yeah. he wants confidence more than anything else going into the sunshine double and I think if this Buenos Aires decision was in order to get matched you know guarantee himself four matches which with all due respect as you mentioned he's only lost to Davidovich Fokina on clay since the French Open um you know, it's a pretty sure thing for him going into this event that he'll get two, three, four matches. If that's his intent, you can't knock it. Like, he has his legs back under him. He's probably feeling comfortable, feeling confident, particularly after that three-set match. That said, of course, moving forward, you got to play the 500s when they're there. Go play Rotterdam and get ready for that indoor hardcourt swing. Get comfortable on the surface you are uncomfortable with. I do think, though, this was a byproduct of missing the Australian Open more than anything else. Like, I bet if he plays Australia, we see him in Rotterdam. Okay, yeah. I mean, we'll never know. Speculation. But we'll, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I'll yeah. try to we'll we'll watch. call him. Caspers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll watch his scheduling moving forward. I would like to see him make a different decision at, at some point very soon. Fair. Fair. What do you think about Schwartzman? Obviously, playing his home event, you get that decision. What do you think of his level? Uh very good. Um, sure. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was important because he he lost early uh, the week before, which I think he was upset about. Uh, and I think he he looked, you know, it looked pretty pretty close to vintage Diego Schwartzman. The question now is going to be, uh, I'm I'm curious to see where where he's at right now because he's he's 29, mm-hmm. um, and there's a really interesting the the really interesting question is was 2020 a peak. Or is he going to get back there? No, and I think the scariest part watching that final is that Rude did match his physicality. And it's like, well, if Schwartzman doesn't have that over these young guys anymore, what's the weapon? What can he do to make things easier? And I do think that is a little note of concern for him as we move. But again... Casper Rude is the best of the best. Like, and this is just yeah. this is purely a ceiling talk. Diego Schwartzman is still very clearly a top twenty player. It's just a question of, well, have we hit that ceiling? To your point, and I, I do think the answer to that is more likely yes than not. But again, it was a really fun week. Three uh, events on the ATP Pro Tour. I think we covered everything there. Did I miss any 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 extra takes that you didn't get to that you'd like to throw out there? In Avashka, maybe some Botic love. Um. Avashka, Botic. No, I mean, well, Avashka and Botic both, I think, will be 
pretty uh, disappointed with how things ended in <laughs> Rotterdam. <laughs> I would agree Bodic, with you. Bodic lost to Lehechka. And I mean, well, look, I will say Rotterdam moving forward, it's never been a tournament where you've looked towards the Dutch players yeah. as like a, a factor, right? But that's <laughs> that's changing, right? You have, uh, you have Botic and Griekspor now. Mm-hmm. So are you in on Griekspor? Yeah, uh, he's not. I am. I'm kind of surprised that things haven't worked out better for him at tour level. No, I am as well. His forehand is just a weapon. And it's again, fantastic. Yeah. it's really stupid. It reminds me of some college tennis players where it's just like they are better than the field. And so they just kind of like know how to win points in certain scenarios. Telling Greek sports tennis instincts are just better than most people's. He's just like, okay, this is where I need to hit the slice or now is my moment to go big down the line. He can do, you know, it's not the most clear-cut success, but his success makes sense, if that makes sense to you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the forehand's fantastic, and yeah. he was on one leg against Karina Busta yeah. in but Australia. But he's just springy. Everything's springy. Yeah, and somehow he was able to stay in it, you know, just with yeah. his forehand, just going for it and, and landing it. Hundred percent. All right. With all of that said, quickly on Saint Petersburg, Annette Conteve three set win over Maria Sakari in the end. She also knocks out Ostapenko three and four after going down three love in that first set. Was down a set and two love to Maria Sakari in the final. But just listen to this run to the title, Gil. Jill Teichman round one. Serana Kersteya, who's made third round or further in four of the last five slams, round two. Benchich round three, Ostapenko round four, Sakari round five. And that Conteve doesn't lose indoor hardcourt matches anymore. Just the physicality she brings. If you don't have an elite, elite weapon, she is going to beat you because she doesn't beat herself. And if you give her time in the rally, she can generate pace. I thought that was the biggest difference between her and Sakari in that final. Conteve's ability to generate pace from a neutral position. I also thought Sakari did a really good job of playing down the center because if you open up angles for Conteve, she'll go down the line. She'll beat you to the spot, particularly on that backhand wing. But that was just really good tennis. Another really fun week on the WTA Tour. Yeah, Conteve is just unplayable in, indoors. Uh, it's it's absurd. And and that's kind of like the prevailing feeling I have when I'm, when I'm watching her in these still conditions just because – She's uh she's hitting the ball. The level of the level of ball striking is really as good as it gets, period. Mm-hmm. Uh when it comes to driving the ball. And if you kind of take the the serve out of the equation and the movement out of the equation where and neither of those things are bad, but it's just like those are not the things that are making her, um, even though they're they're pretty good. There's just nobody hitting more solid, penetrating backhands wherever she wants the ball, changing direction. And then on the forehand from the middle of the court, uh, that's kind of more of the, the thing that goes up and down in the X factor. But inside, it doesn't fly on her. She's able to kind of control that flat forehand that she she hits through very well. And it's it's an offensive barrage that I just don't really see anyone competing with off the ground in rallies. I think you need to either serve her off the court uh, or – or I think you're you're in trouble because yeah, I, or you I don't better see you literally better be Paula Bedosa or like Garbi. It's literally you serve her off the court or you better be able to match her physicality because right. otherwise and like and even if you match her physicality, you better have some weapons to turn to because she's not going to give you the unforced error. 
Yeah. I mean, if, if, if you can get, if you can frustrate her, get a lot of balls back deep to her forehand side, you might get errors, but it takes a lot of, again, first of all, you're going to get more errors. It seems outdoors and indoors. She's not going to miss very much. And it, it just takes a lot of speed and a lot of pace absorption uh, defensive capabilities to be able to do that. I mean, it's a. I just love how you frame it. You, if you make enough balls deep to her forehand, you might get errors. Like you might not <laughs> still, but you might. Like yeah. that's literally the the choice at this point. You look for her fifty two and 75 percent win percentage over the last fifty two weeks. Thirty eight and six since winning that title in Cleveland right before the U.S. Open. And I mean, you look at the strength of schedule for her during that time as well. It's not like it's just been cupcakes. Of course, she's beaten everyone she's supposed to beat, but ten and five against the top twenty during that span. And seven and four against the top 10. She's number two via Tennis Abstract's ELO ratings. I can't disagree. It's like, yeah, Barty is number one. All due respect to Osaka, just hasn't played enough to be right there. Conteve has been that next best player where it's like, yeah, she's just consistently, again, you better have an all-world performance or you're not going to beat her. Her floor is now too high. Yeah, I, I guess the... the the thing is about indoor tennis is it's the least important parts of the calendar. Right. That's not a. Is that a shot a at our Midwest? At my Midwest roots? That crushes me. <laughs> crushes me, Gail. Look, I don't make the calendar, but that's that's <laughs> how it is. So, um, you know, her her worst results in this incredible stretch have been at the U.S. Open, Indian Wells in the unconventional spot, um, and the Australian Open yeah. by by round. And other than that, she's made semifinal or better since August. Since Cleveland, which is insanity. So, uh, I mean, I guess the, the thing to watch out for is obviously uh, how is she going to do at these big tournaments coming up? Miami, Indian Wells. Man, the the level, the way she's crushing the ball without error off both wings on these indoor hard courts. You're just, yeah. I, I can't see anyone beating her. No, it's. It's special stuff, and obviously now we've got the Middle East swing, Dubai, Doha coming up. It's going to be interesting. Sakari served for the match, though. Yeah, she did, absolutely. She was up a set and a break also, and just, yeah. you know, again, you look for Sakari. This was a huge result for her, who's got those Miami semifinal points coming up, that French Open semifinal as well. She did not have a good run to the at the end of last season, and if she wants to keep her top 10 ranking, she needs some big results here at the start of the year. This really helps. And you look for her, by the way, Potapova, Alexandrova, Mertens got... Nice draw, certainly, with Irina Camilla Bagu, who's playing good ball, though, right now. Yeah. I mean, I thought Sakari looked well. She, again, sometimes does struggle to generate pace, but when she lands first serve, she finds plus one forehands. And her willingness to move forward, particularly in indoor conditions, when you're never going to get an easier forehand than an indoor hardcourt tennis, uh, easier overhead, excuse me, than indoor hardcourt tennis. Like, she does such a good job on capitalizing on those moments. Ostapenko looked fit. It was, again, final thoughts on St. Petersburg here. It was, uh, Dubai will be better, but it wasn't good <laughs> for a 500 draw. Um, I will say that it, it felt like it lacked a, a little bit of juice. Part of that was Rybakina, who got, uh, fell ill, and she's had horrible luck since making that final in, I think it was, it, it was either Adelaide or Sydney um, to, to start the year. And then since then, injury, injury illness she hasn't been able to finish a tournament uh which is super unfortunate uh part of it was that um but but yeah i think dubai is going to be where we see the fireworks this was another case of uh um sakari and 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 
um, Contivate, just like we saw in Ostrava, making up the final top two seeds and and Contivate being um, a little bit better. Yeah. So with that said, that's your past week in pro tennis. It was a fun one, folks. And of course, the action continues on this week as well. Busy times, as always. I know you're covering everything. Monday match analysis. I'm sure the Rafa title through three, a tennis show for a loop we learned today. The Djokovic interview, he's not going to get vaccinated, he says, uh, you know, to play the French Open, to play Wimbledon. Were you talking about it all? What can we expect from you? Yeah, uh, covering uh, the Djokovic situation, a a video about his interview is up on YouTube now. Channel is at is not at Gil Gross. It's just Gil Gross. The Twitter is at Gil underscore Gross. And uh, we'll be discussing it on three, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network in um, in lockstep with the Cracked Rackets family. Uh, we will be discussing <laughs> that tomorrow. <laughs> See, I never heard, uh, three I've never heard of. I know three, a tennis show. Three, a tennis show. Oh, do not, okay. Do not, do not go on Google yeah. and search three <laughs> and expect to find the show. Because we I have agree. a lot of – there's a lot of SEO competition with the number three. I mean, first we, of all – We hope to get there at some point. God willing, you search three someday and the number is no longer synonymous with the word and it's your tennis show because, <laughs> God, that would be some brand identification. Like we have usurped the number itself and it is now <laughs> – when you say three, you say a tennis show. Uh, right. But yeah, no, it's uh, always one of my favorite to listen to and yeah, again – I know you are ensconced on the Djokovic beat, so certainly looking forward to hearing what you, Amy Joel, who is back from the dead, uh, looking forward to hearing what you all have to say. And <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, again, always a fan of a fellow Tennis Channel Podcast Network show. So as always, uh, thank you, Gil, for joining me. And with that said, a huge shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. Again, our coverage of the 2022 Men's National Indoor Championships begins this Friday, 9 a.m. Pacific time. That coverage is going to continue all the way through our championship match on Monday. You can catch it all on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. A shout-out, as always, to our friends at Tennis Point as well for the support. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for my fantastic co-host and eyebrow nemesis, Gil Gross, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Gil, what do we tell the people? Great shot. No. No, no, no. no. Leave it in. Leave it in. But what do you say? I don't know. I was. I... It's a break. It's a mini break. It's... So what is that? That's the... That's the break. There it is. Leave all of it in, Westoff. It's okay. I love the enthusiasm. Can't keep as track always. of it. Yeah, you're telling me. Yeah. Uh, and we will see you all next time. Thank you as always, my friend. <laughs>